may be seated. It's good to worship, isn't it? It's almost like he's alive and he's here. We'll talk about that a little later, but I want to start off with a, uh, this is my first chance to wish you Happy New Year uh, from up here, and uh, also to talk about what's happening in the new year a little bit, and specifically what's happening this week, and, and to f- follow up with this. So just a little pastoral family moment here. Uh, just want to update you on overflow. Remember that offering we did at the end of the year? Well, it's gone up since last time you heard, $9,700. So, and it's going to all those, uh, those missions and those ministries right there, and those, the $49 and $49 sections, it's divided out this way. And I want to just focus on the first one, Kenya. Uh, that's the Kenya mission that we go on to train pastors, uh, and uh, that's happening this week. At about midnight on Thursday night, Sharon and I and Chris Green are going to get on a plane and start heading our way to Nairobi, about 36 40 hours later, we're going to be at the, <laughs> at the mission, so you can pray that we sleep on the plane. But I um, just want to call them up here, uh, Chris and uh, Sharon, and I'm going to ask our uh, mission uh, team chairman, uh, Kevin Peterson, to come up here too, because we're going to uh, pray about this and ask you to be praying. And, and just what, I want you to know that what your overflow did, okay, and between this and Gifts in Kind, uh, we're going to be able to train pastors. Chris and I will be teaching the pastors. And remember, they can't do their job in Kenya anymore unless they have a certificate that says, I've been trained theologically, okay? Because uh, they had some pretty wacky things in the name of Christianity happen. And so these guys have no livelihood if they don't do this. So there'll be about 100 pastors. Sharon will be working with uh, uh, kids uh, in the, the school slash orphanage. Uh, she'll be going out into the, the communities and uh, seeing about what, what they need for medical things. So this is provided for us to bring medical supplies, some toys for the kids, some hygiene stuff for the kids, then gifts in kind. Uh, Kevin and Nancy were at Missions Fest. They won this big bag of shoes that adjust as the kids grow older. We're bringing that. Uh, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Peters has gotten us some uh, toothbrushes and, and toothpaste. And it's, so what I'm telling you is you're having a direct impact, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get in there, and we'll get some videos, I think, you know, send them back. And Chris will photobomb. He'll come in behind. So it'll be a really cool one. Uh, but we do really appreciate your prayers, and uh, thanks for being willing to send us off that way. And uh, just pretend... My wife's here. I'm not going to hug Chris, but I'll just, just pretend she's here. All right. All right, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I ask you to be with the team as they go, that you watch over them, give them the strength that they'll need, that you strengthen their arms and their hands and their feet, that they'll have health the whole time, Lord, or mostly that you open their eyes to see the work that you're doing, their minds to, to, to really think about what you're calling them to, and ears to hear what, what's happening, Lord. We ask that you just watch over them and bless everything that they do. That, Lord, that you would bless the work of uh, Pastor Timothy and his team there as, as, the, as everyone goes out and does the various things that they're doing as part of this project, Lord, and the, it's setting the stage for the future projects, Lord. We ask you just to really overwhelm them in your name and to touch the, the people around, Lord, that they would be a blessing to the villages and the, the women's groups and the, and the pastors as they, they teach and as they uh, look at the medical needs. Lord, that you would just be with them in each and every step of that. 
We pray that you go before them, that you watch over them as they travel, watch over them as they're on the road, watch over them as they're with the, the, the different groups and different peoples, Lord, that you would be with them, that your Holy Spirit would wash over them in a way that they've never seen or known before, that you would just overwhelm them with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor. Well, it's, it's always blows my mind that I get to be sent out as a missionary. I mean, I never thought that would happen. So, I mean, it's just kind of cool. So, let me OD on my bliss there for a minute. Um, also, that real, the reason Sharon's not here, uh, likely, is because uh, my brother-in-law, uh, a guy named Jeff Anderson, is here, and he and his wife are missionaries. Actually, they're developing a new mission uh, region for our um, family of churches, the Covenant Church called MENA, Middle East, North Africa. And if you read the news, you know that that's one of the hottest spots in the globe. But one of the cool things about missions in our family of churches is we always go to the hardest places. And that's what they're doing. They're developing and opening this region for us to be able to participate there. And Jeff and Darlene are going to be here next week, so I encourage you to be here for that. But that sort of leads into what I'm trying to get at. There's something that I think God has kind of put in my heart and my mind uh, and in all of our hearts and minds that we need to talk about before I leave. And uh, the reason I'm saying this is because I've started to hear it out of your mouths. In fact, uh, for January, we usually do this series thing, but we didn't do a series this year. I just said, Chris, why don't you preach last week? And Ben, uh, in two weeks, why don't you preach for a couple of weeks, okay? And, and I let them uh, decide whatever was on their heart. But what's wild is, is that what was on their heart was what was on my heart, which was together. And Chris last week talked about listening prayer. Ben's going to talk about prayer and Bible reading uh, and, and how that works in our lives. And today, I'm not going to talk about that specifically. I'm not going to do, go over the ground that those guys have, are going to cover. I'm, talk, I'm kind of pulling back and supporting it with, with something else that God has really laid on my heart. And to get at it, um, let me tell you a story of something that happened to me about a year and a half ago. Uh, for about 10 years now, <clears throat> I've been uh, going to, and, I, and when I say going to, I mean like two, maybe three times over the last 10 years, gone to this doctor's office. He's an integrative care doctor who wrote this book 10, 15 years ago that became a bestseller about, you know, how to, how to take care of yourself and your nutrition and, you know, stuff I never gave credit to, uh, you know, you know how, to, how to relax and, and reduce your stress and, and how to eat right, how to exercise, and then the medical stuff too. So this guy's in Chicago. And so about a year and a half ago, I thought, you know what, it's probably time I visit them again. I haven't been there in years. And so I went through and they give you this whole workup. And before they do that, they, they give you this questionnaire about, you know, who are you, what's your education, and so forth and so on. So uh, they had found out that I had my doctor, uh, doctorate degree, but not a medical doctor. And, they, uh, they, uh, and, and then there was a section about de-stressing, right? And the, honestly, the chapter in the book is kind of new agey and bong smoking kind of stuff, really. So I basically said, I don't really need this because I have my own form of meditation. It's the best part of my day. I pray and read my Bible every morning, and it's so helpful to get me in the right zone, you know, and to get me into a situation where if I do have stress, it's the right kind of stress and so forth. Okay, so I made a big deal out of that, hoping they wouldn't send me into the room to talk to the de-stressed doctor. Well, she came in anyway, <clears throat> and she was the wife of the main doctor. So, and she came in, and we chit-chatted about having our doctorates, because I, mean, I think she was trying to say, we're on the same level, you know? I don't have a medical degree either. I have, um, I have a PhD in breathing, stuff like that. And so she says, and I'm also really happy <clears throat> to see that you pray every day, and that that's so helpful to your emotional and stress life. 
And I said, yeah, but I, no, it's, it's weirder than that. She said, what do you mean? I said, I actually think I'm hearing from him and I'm talking to him. And she just looked at me like, oh my word, I'm in the presence of a crazy person, you know? Now, please understand me. Uh, I, I, I kind of like it when people think I'm crazy, so I might have egged that on a little bit. <laughs> but you're a normal person. It's not normal to like it when people think you're crazy, okay? So I understand that, but the reality is if we really live into what Jesus is going to teach us today, you just need to be prepared that people might think you're a little crazy. Because it's not just about praying. It's not just about Bible reading. We're talking about something that includes all those things. It, it, it is, those things are in there in very important parts, but this, what Jesus is going to teach us today includes all these things. And what, what really set me to thinking about this was when Katie was up here last week leading worship. And this is an example, by the way, when you've got to understand that all of worship when we gather together is important and God can use to teach you and touch your heart and, and reach your soul. But she said something that just kind of set me to thinking like, that's what you've been trying to tell me. And she said, she talked about the presence of God. She says, when was the last time you really sensed his presence and about how powerful that was? Remember that? And, and it was like God broke through and he goes, you know, would you just be still and know that I am God for a few minutes? You know, that kind of thing. What we're really talking about is an old word that's not, we don't use very much anymore and we don't talk about very much anymore. It's in the King James Version. It's in the English Standard Version in the passage we're going to look at today. It's in the New American Standard Version in the passage we're going to look today. But it's the word abide. Jesus asks us and says, look, while I'm, just before he leaves this earth with his disciples, he says, the way you're going to connect with me in the meantime until I come back is going to be just as real as it is right now, but you've got to abide in me. And so today I want to just kind of unpack what does abide mean. And, and you're going to need all the other stuff that Chris gave you last week and, and Ben's going to give you in a couple weeks. You're going to need all of that too. But what I'm saying to you is, what does it mean on a daily basis to abide? And is it even possible? And some people in this room might even go, is it even desirable, you know? Maybe you know, that's kind of where your life, spiritual life is at the moment. But how is it that, what does this mean to abide, and how does it work? So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15, and as you're, as you're finding it, it's okay to use your phone, by the way, just turn off the ringer, even though I'm going to have a few things to say about the phone later on. Um, but, but abiding uh, is something that Jesus talks about again and again in this chapter. In fact, one of his disciples, a guy named John, who happens to write this gospel, he's the one we learn about this word from. Because over and over again in his letters and in his, in, 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 uh, his gospel, more than the others, that we need to abide. And here's the thing that you need to know about John. It kind of adds credibility to what he's about to say. I think he was right there at every moment. John was the youngest of the 12 disciples, the beloved disciples. And if you look at the bigger picture, now this is Dwayne's speculation now. This is not in the Bible, so you need to take it for what it's worth, right? But you look at John throughout the Bible and throughout the gospel story, and you get the feeling, at least I get the feeling, that he was an eager beaver, a young eager beaver, maybe not even 20 years old yet. And he was, he was an eager beaver, and he was sticking his nose in every time, maybe just a little bit annoying to the other guys. Because he and his brother come to Jesus, for example, and say, you know, we want to be at your right hand in eternity. Can, you know, in the kingdom of heaven, can you just uh, work that out for us? And Jesus has to rebuke him. 
A little later, you know, John is, is there and he's, um, he's, he's, they hear about the empty tomb from the women and Peter and John run to the tomb. But John in his gospel, for some reason, says, you know, Peter's ahead, but then makes it clear that John at the last minute, maybe because Peter's old, I don't know, surpasses him and gets to the tomb first. Just kind of annoying stuff. And, and then, then he's sitting right next to Jesus and leaning on his breast. And, and John's the one that gives us the words, the beloved disciple. So did he wiggle his way in there? <laughs> I don't know. But it gives the sense of real, authentic, this actually happened. Because you wouldn't put it in there unless it was real. Because it doesn't really make him look great. And, and the other thing is, is that if you're a particularly a, like a millennial or a person that you're going, you know what, I wonder when they're all going to start listening to me. Because I do have something to say. You know, I do have value. If you're maybe, maybe not even, it's an age thing. It's just not feeling very valuable. This is the guy for you. This is the one. And so when he brings up words like abide, there must be some significant reason for it. In fact, look at this. How's this for credibility? Look at the last sentence uh, of chapter 14 before we get into 15. Jesus is in the upper room. Judas has just left. Everybody is feeling like the weight of a bomb is about to drop. They don't know what's happening, but they know that something tough and bad, and Jesus is talking about going away. He just talked about that in chapter 14. And then he says this, come now, let us leave. And the significance of that is John's the only one that reports that phrase at the end of the dinner. John's the only one that tells us what happens, that there wasn't silence from Jesus from the upper room, crossing across the city, down through the Kidron Valley, and over to Gethsemane. He's the only one that tells us, John is, of what happened. So again, you get, or, or what Jesus said, you get the idea that John scooted up next to Jesus and made mental notes or somehow made notes of what Jesus was saying because he was preparing them for what was going to happen and how to maintain a relationship with him in this world the way it is now, right up to the last second. And so he says, says you know, come, let's, let's leave. And they, 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 they leave and they head toward <clears throat> um, uh, the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray. And, and what's interesting is John, in the midst of all this, chapters 13 to 17, which are so catalytic and so powerful for Christians even today. He, he includes stuff like, don't worry. And at the beginning of chapter 14, I'm leaving, but be not troubled. You know, believe in God, believe in also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you and so forth and so on. Remember that? He also includes stuff that nobody else includes, like Jesus loving his disciples so much that he washed their feet. And then Jesus explains why he washes their feet when a couple of them get creeped out by that, like their master, their savior, washing their feet which is helpful to me because if he has ever asked me to wash your feet, I'm going to need a good explanation. But, um, but he's saying, you know, that this actually happened. And let me just tell you, Jesus was comforting and clarifying and inspiring and saying, let's get going right up until the end. And so that's, it's not insignificant then. If Jesus has just said, I'm going away but I'm coming back, and in the meantime, here's how we relate. He's describing for us a reset of our mindset. He's describing for us a reset of the new normal. And here's how he begins by describing it. Verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. So he's, he's 
kind of giving a metaphor here, right? And what he, but these disciples know exactly what he's doing because he has just hit on an icon for their world. We, we all know we all have icons, right? I mean, even today we have icons. We may think, you know, that's a religious thing, but really we have icons in our culture. I mean, I'm going to say one word, and you can immediately think of the icon, right? Nike. What's the icon? It's a swoosh, right? Of course, these guys heard that. They go, why are you worshiping the Greek goddess of victory? She's phony. You know I mean? I, that would be strange to them. That's who Nike is, by the way. But we have that, uh, Nike, that, that, that uh, icon of that swoosh. We know immediately what we're talking about. The disciples knew immediately what Jesus was talking about. He was making a shift in their icon, which was the vine. The vine. Since they were little kids, they'd been taught by the Old Testament and by the rabbis that Israel was the vine. In fact, everywhere they walked, they saw imagery of it. Let me show you a picture of the temple that Jesus would have walked by. This is the Herod's temple. It's not really the Herod's temple because that one was torn down by the Romans in 66. Uh, but uh, you can see modern buildings in the background. That's kind of a clue. This is a model, which is in, um, in Jerusalem. Uh, and, but you see that scrolling across the top? That's the vine. And the vine in the Old Testament world, and for these rabbis, was if you, if you want to be connected with God, you have to be connected with Israel. And Jesus is changing that now. He says, nope, I got some news for you. It's not Israel. It's not the people of God. It's me. I'm the vine, and my father is the gardener. So he's doing this reset He's doing this, this new thing uh, of describing that's how you relate to, to God because if you relate to me, you're relating to God. I am God, he's essentially saying, but I'm the vine, I'm the source of your resources, I'm the source of your nourishment. And, and look what he does with it. He surprises them. The, you know, the, the disciples probably were given this sort of religious nod. You know, we know exactly what you're saying, Jesus. You're our vine, you've got that. And that's why what he says next is so kind of shocking and stark. He says, he, that is God the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You go, man, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> but what happens if you leave the dead branches hanging around on your trees and on your you know, bushes or on your tomato plants? It starts to affect the whole plant, right? The other plants can't get the, the other parts can't get the nourishment they need, right? You have to trim it up. So that's what he's saying. They're dead already. But watch this. <clears throat> While every branch that does bear fruit, every branch that's in me that's bearing fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. <laughs> we don't exactly like that part. You know, we, we look past uh, back at uh, 2018. Some of you had some really bad 2018s. Let's not play around with that. That's the truth. I had a rough, rough first part of 20, uh, 2018. But in 2019, who knows? But does that, what does that mean in terms of our relationship with God? Jesus is trying to do a reset here. He's, he's saying this pruning business isn't just God lopping stuff off when you've been faithful and fruitful to him. 
It, it's, not a, it's not an indication that you've been unfaithful if stuff happens in your, in, in, that's, that doesn't feel quite good. But he's doing a reset saying, consider the possibility that God's doing something in the midst of the fallenness of this fallen world that's good in the end. Because pruning is the word we get, the Greek word for pruning, is the word we get catharsis from. It means cleaning. It can also mean from a from a vineyard point of view, of picking up a branch that's fallen down off the vine that's still connected, it's got grapes on it, lifting it up, cleaning off the grapes, and sticking it back on the arbor. And Jesus is saying, that's what God, your loving Heavenly Father, does for you. He may, even in adverse circumstance, do something good. And, you know, for some of us, we hear that and go, why would I think that about difficult circumstances in my life. I mean, when, you know, when I became a Christian, Lord, when, when, when that person brought me to you, they said that my life was going to get easier, and all of a sudden, no, it's not getting easier, you know? I mean, who, you're kidding, who would want that in, in? You know, by the way, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, just understand that's not the promise of the Bible, that your life's going to get easier. But, 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 but he, he's, he's saying, you know, we tend to like push the pause button and say, wait a minute, God, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. How in the world can this be happening if you, in fact, are the loving gardener? And Jesus is trying to tell us there's some pruning taking on place. Sure, but pruning's not all bad. It's cleaning. It's, it's restoring. And God will use that in your life, too. And, and, and just consider that because of what he says about how we are going to relate and connect with him. Look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word that was spoken to you. Okay, Whew. Okay, he's not saying that we're going to get cut off any second. He's saying, you're already clean. So here's what he says. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He's saying, before you eject everything, before you say, you know, God, I'm just not sure I want you to work in my life and so forth, understand that there's something good that God is wanting to do. But the only way that good is going to come about in your life is if you remain, if you connect. The, the real question that he's saying here, you, you notice four times in verse 4, it uses the word remain. This is the word that can be translated to stay or abide is the more comprehensive word. He's saying before you eject, before you push God away, before you, you know, say, I, I must have to take control of this myself. Where is God? You know, the, uh, you know, he's not listening to me and all that kind of stuff. Before that happens, pause long enough and just consider that God might be up to something. And instead of moving away, you move closer in. You stay in your body. Because Jesus is saying, the question is not, am I or am I not with you? I am with you. The question is not, am I, am I or am I not up to good in your life? I am up to good in your life. And yes, you live in a fallen world. That's not the question. The question is, is will you stay or will you go? That's the question. And Jesus is saying, you stay and you abide with me. And... <clears throat> And, you know, all of us left to ourselves tend to run away. We tend to push God away. But the problem is that doesn't clean up our lives. That doesn't deal with our dysfunction. That doesn't heal our souls. It makes it worse. That doesn't help us in any way when we run away. 
We just wind up being on like a deserted iron, uh, island of loneliness by ourselves, talking to a volleyball and calling his name Wilson, right? I mean, that's all that really happens when you, when you go with your gut and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure my faith strong enough for this and that kind of stuff. Jesus says, when you feel that way, lean in further. That's where you're going to find me. It's when you abide and stay with me. I mean, if you notice, the Bible doesn't have a bunch of lists. Have you noticed that? The Bible doesn't have lists like, um, you know, uh, take out this loan and go to that school. It doesn't have a list of, you know, go this career path, not that career path. It doesn't say marry this person, not that person, right? It's not like that. But Jesus does have a list. He has a list, and there's only one thing on it, and he says it in umpteen different ways in the New Testament. Remain in me, stay with me, and abide with me. Because he knows that's where we're going to get our sustenance and our source for living, our source for life. And he's saying, don't let any of this stuff, this peripheral stuff, push you away. When you, when you feel like there's nothing you can do, there's somebody you can be with, and that can be better. Stay with me. So, so what is this abiding stuff? What is, what is, what is this, this, this uh, all about anyway? Well, abiding is hanging out with Jesus, spending a quiet time, if you will. But it's not only hanging out. It's uh, praying, but not only praying. It's reading your Bible, but it's not only reading your Bible. It's thinking about Jesus throughout the day, but it's not only thinking about it. It's all of those things together. In other words, you could put it this way. It's a continual relational connection with Jesus throughout any given day of your life. It starts with that quiet time. That's significant. That's, that's, that's important, like I told the lady who thought I was crazy. But, but it starts the day that way. It's saying, I, Lord, I don't want to live this day without you. I want to be with you all the I want you to be with me all the time. I want to sense your presence in my life and the significance of that presence all the way through. And, and so, so Jesus um, <clears throat> is really getting very personal here. And frankly, this is personal to me. It's, it, 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 you know, I don't think I could do this ministry without God's abiding in my life, even when I don't feel like I'm hearing from him so much. I don't think I could do this. Uh, I don't think you and I can really live everything that, this, that, the, that Jesus means for us in the Christian life. I mean, if, if he really is Emmanuel, think about this. If he's really Emmanuel, God with us, then you would think there would be a way to connect with him. And please understand me, Jesus has made it clear that he's with, he will be with us to the end of the age. So he's with us, it's just a matter of whether we can hear it, whether we can see it, whether we can experience it, if you will. And so when he says, <clears throat> abide, he's saying, give yourself to me over the course of that day. Remain in me all the time. Now, he must have kind of known what was going to be in our hearts, and he must have kind of seen the look in their eye as he's talking about going away and abiding. What? What is all this? And then, so he goes in next, he kind of goes into what uh, you might call a divine the relationship talk, a DTR, okay? Think of this as sort of the, the divine DTR of Jesus to you and me, right? Uh, <clears throat> look where he goes uh, next, beginning in verse 5. I am the vine, <clears throat> and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Don't like that. But remember, God the Father is uh, the, the gardener. He's tending the soil and our souls. But surely Jesus sees the look on their face because look where he goes next. But if you remain in me, verse 7, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's one of our disciple words, one of our explanations of what it means to be a disciple right there in the New Testament, bearing fruit, not on our own, but him bearing fruit through us, if you will. Now, notice what he says, if you remain in me, ask whatever, this is, this is the one that jumps out at us, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you, right? Ha <laughs> ha what's that mean? Right? I mean, because that's the one that kind of piques our interest, and I want to be real careful here. I'll just say this. People who get a yes from God all the time, that's hocus pocus. That doesn't exist. That's an illusion. Somebody's pulling your leg. It's prosperity gospel, and it hurts people. Just saying. But think about this. Who is it that the people that we most respect and like seem to give God the most glory and it's just amazing? Isn't it people that you've known in your life who have either gotten a no from God in their prayers or gotten a, like a non-answer? And they still trust, that's a better word scholars are saying now than believe, because when we say believe, we think of, oh, I believe, I believe, and we blow out our birthday candles, or, you know, we rub the genie's lamp, we get three wishes, you know, kind of stuff. And I said, no, trust is the word. When you trust and you lean into me anyway, those are the ones that impress you. Those are the ones that impress me, right? That's just the, that's just the reality of, of how we experience it. I, I think about these, um, these New Testament people. For them, as you read the Bible, I mean, it's incredibly encouraging. You've got to read your Bible to see these people who oftentimes don't get the direct answer or getting the one they were hoping for. And yet they trust God anyway. They have confidence in God anyway. Those are the ones that are like, wow. Because like God says, you know, if you, if you give you the answer and, you know, everybody runs out and says, hey, how did you get that answer? Because I'd like some of that. God goes, meh, that's not that big a deal. But it's the people who continue to trust me anyway. They're in on my bigger, grander plan. They're in on the good that I'm doing in this world. And they're the ones that transform me. And you know what? That's the only way the gospel made it out of the New Testament, out of the first century, out of the first half of the first century, down to you and me. Every time I go to Israel, and it'll happen this year, I'm sure, one of my favorite places in the world is uh, the old city of Jerusalem. And every time I go there, I look around and I see all this stuff, including the destruction that happened in 66 when the, the Romans came in and took all the stones of the temple and, and jumbled them up. I mean, this isn't a great commercial for the Israel trip this year, but let's be honest. When you're going to Israel, you're not walking where Jesus walked. So that late night infomercial that the travel authority of Israel puts out, it's baloney. You're not walking... Jesus walked 17 feet under the ground where you're walking, except in a couple of places. Gethsemane would be one of them. Different dirt, obviously. 
But when you walk by the stones of the old city wall, those are the stones Jesus walked by. They're on the steps. And you see what they put up with. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to figure out a way to bring all of you to Israel. But I calculated it out on a piece of paper. It, it, it'll take 20 buses and $1.8 million. So you're on your own. But, but if you could all just kind of experience that, it's just like this mind-blowing thing. How in the world did it get out? You know how I got out? It's by abiding in Jesus and letting Jesus do what he's doing in this world through us and in us and trusting him even when it doesn't go the way we think it should go or we're being pruned seriously. That's how it made it all the way down. And that's what God is still up to. I was um, <clears throat> reading about this because I, I ran across an article, you know, they did the, in Christianity Today, they did these, you know, top articles that we hope you read kind of things. And I was reading one from last February that I'd somehow missed. And um, I'm not going to get into it in detail this time. We'll do this later, but it's a powerful article. And it reminded me something that I learned years ago when I wrote my first thesis on the Great Awakening in America, that God just totally, you know, turned the place around uh, in revival and renewal. And then uh, studying revivals when I was doing prayer seminars around the country about, you know, 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, there was one thing that I ran across. There was one thing, and this, this article brought it up. One thing that happened, but previous to every revival that's happened in the last 270 years. It's that people weren't, the people of God, Christians, Jesus followers, weren't just simply praying casually that God would renew and heal their land and change hearts, including theirs first. They did what the old timers called tra travailing prayer. Prayer that just won't take no, that comes back at it again and again, because they know that that's on God's, God's heart too. Another way of talking about travailing would be to say, <clears throat> it's like having your heart broken by the things that break God's heart. And when that happens, even your wishes and your desires are transformed. They're, you know, some of the stuff you still want that you've been praying for, but it's just not as important as this stuff. That's what happens. And I'm not claiming that I'm Mr. Travailer or that I've consistently done it, but I have walked this room for the last 10 or 12 years at least three times a week, sometimes five times a week. And part of that prayer is always, God, heal us, lift us up, cleanse us, renew and re bring revival on our church family, but then do it all over this city and then do it all over this country. And I think what Jesus is saying is when you get concerned and worried about what's happening around you and in this world and what's it going to be like for your children and your grandchildren and all kind of stuff, which I hear a lot about and I'm right there with you. I think he's saying, just abide in me because I've got something and I'm up to something good. And I think that's where this is going. And I'm starting to see the evidence of it around here. And again, I think Jesus is so in tune with these guys, and he's so in tune with us that he, he knows what, <clears throat> what, what what's, must be happening because he can see it in our eyes. Look at verse 9. He explains why this is, needs to happen, and he explains what the powerful force behind it is. As God, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Think about that, first of all. That he has loved us the way the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit love each other. Wow. And he says, now remain in me, and I, you, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this 
so that you can live the most morose life possible. Oh, he doesn't say that. <laughs> I've told you this so that you may have my joy, my joy. And he may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full or the maximum. What about, wow, what about that? You see, he's talking here, when you begin to ask yourself why, why should I go through this and still trust you, God? Why shouldn't I take matters into my hands? Jesus is saying, before you push the, um, before you push the, the, the bankruptcy button or the drinking button or the push people away button or the, the I'll take matters into my hands button, pause long enough to remember who it is that really loves you and who has the best for you in mind. It is not you. You may think you love yourself better than me, but you do not. I do. In fact, I love you so much that I can call you friends. And this is a natural and normal experience of following me and being my person and being an eternal person who's living eternal life that you build your spiritual muscles the same way you build your physical muscles. You stretch them and then you rest them. And you stretch them and you rest them. And you stretch them and then you rest them. Some of you, from what happened in 2018, God may be fixing to make you a spiritual bodybuilder, right? Because he's been building your faith in the midst of the crud that the enemy would have loved to have used for your destruction instead. So how does that work, okay? Uh, let me just give you some final thoughts here, and then we're done about how do you know if you're abiding and, and how do you do that on a, any given day, on any given basis, okay? First of all, how do you know you're abiding? Well, you know by, you, there's sort of three tests, really, that you can kind of check. What, and it has to do with when was the last time you experienced certain things. When was the last time you experienced fear in God's presence? <laughs> That's one we like to leave out. But what I'm talking about is a sense of awe, like, oh, man, I am out of my league right now. Because it only makes sense. If God shows up, we better be out of our league. Otherwise, he's just like some other person, you know? Some celebrity <laughs> that, really, that really can't change anything about you. They just look good or something, right? It's the fear of his pre in, in his presence. The second one is the wonder of his presence. It, and that's sort of what I would call the why me why did you pick me, God? Why did you pick, save me, Jesus? Why did, you, why did you just speak to me through that Bible verse? Ooh, I'm in the presence of something much beyond me. But it all has to wind up with what Jesus just said. And that is to the love of his presence. Knowing and experiencing and kind of puts us all back together and cleans us up all at the same time, that we really are loved. We are not alone in the universe. We're not even alone in the crowd of, our, uh, of the community that we're living in at the moment or the business that we're in or school that we're in or whatever it is we're in that day. We have his presence and he is with us. And when we're together, we start to sense it and feel it. That's why I started out by saying, isn't it awesome that we're worship, uh, to worship to God? It's almost like he's alive and he's here. Because you start to see it in other people. 
It's that binding together of his love. And it's not an exact science. I encourage you with all my heart to spend time in Scripture and praying every single day. But just doing that legalistically isn't going to get you there. Just doing it, you know, and wailing before God legalistically isn't going to get you there. Because whenever what I'm doing is more important to me than what he's doing, that's legalism. And legalism can kill a good abiding vibe faster than just ignoring them altogether. It can just put it down. And so that's not what it is. So I want to give you sort of a list that I put together. You could put another list together, a whole bigger list together of over the course of a day. How do you, how do you be, you know, what are the practices that you can do to help uh, 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 make sure that you're abiding with him? And I hesitate to do this because I don't want to create a new legalism, okay? So just take this for what it's worth, all right? If that's enough caution, I'll, I, I'll, I'll end right there. But just think about this. Here's some things to think about. Maybe start your day reading at least one passage of Scripture before picking up your phone. Now, this is difficult if you're like me because, <laughs> because I use the YouVersion app for my reading plan, which means I have to pick up my phone or my iPad or whatever. But what I've kind of disciplined myself to is, you know, I will not, even, even if I'm sitting in a restaurant before I get in here or before my devotional time or whatever, Read a passage of scripture before I read the news, before I check the emails, before I look at the messages, right? Just, just a way to kind of get the priorities straight for me. Secondly, <clears throat> turn off the radio and talk to Jesus during your morning drive. Instead of letting whoever else talk into your life, just try that. Another one is walk while you pray. Some people this is great for, some people it's not at all. Some people really, to sense God's presence, need to be still in the sense of sitting in a chair and folding their hands and closing their eyes. That's, that's cool. But just so you know that if you're the kind of person who walks and thinks better, thinks better and listens better while you walk, then that's, you know, that's cool too. There's all kinds of examples of that in the Bible. It's, it's how God's put you together. Uh, another one is this. Put down your phone. Oh, we already talked about that. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Write a note or write in a journal. If you're a writing kind of person, this can be phenomenally transforming. I mean, for me, I've done journals off and on. I'm not a great journaler, but the writing part of it is really, I mean, that's what I'm made for. That's why I'm doing this, because I have to write a term paper on the Bible every Sunday, or for every Sunday, right? So, but I'll tell you, that, I'll tell you this, when I'm doing that, I'm so into it, and it's travailing in the good sense. It's not, oh, you know, it's not pressure. It's just like, man, this is cool and this is serious. I want it all, okay? It's so much so that I physically, when I get up, my muscles are sore. Probably not the best way to sit. I'm not saying I got good posture. Dr. Voodoo would hate what I just told you. But, but the, the reality is, is that, you know, there is travailing in writing too. It's, it's a legitimate thing. It's depending how God made you. If that's not working for you, don't, don't, don't do that. Do, do what, what, what God is like to do. Here's another one. Ask yourself at least once a day, does the Bible say anything about this, whatever this is, about your day? Another kind of variation on that, probably better, is ask yourself at least once a day, is Jesus trying to get through to me via his word? You know, because that's how he speaks to us. Is there something he's trying to tell me? Is there something over and over? It's sort of like, you know, Dwayne, you really need to talk to people and you really need to share together with your church family about abiding, about abiding in my presence. You need to get that through your thick skull. That's, I finally got that last week, thanks to Katie. 
Uh, and then finally, find, find your pathway. You know, everybody's different, right? And, and pathway is not something that's in the scripture, but, but, but think of it this way. Some people uh, are better when, you know, in terms of their thinking and their heart and getting it in the right direction without distractions when they're walking, some when they're sitting, some when they're standing, uh, some people when they're in the out of doors, some people when they're, they're in their, uh, you know, uh, lounge chair. I fall asleep there, that's why I walk. But I mean, whatever your pathway is, you know, away from the people or in the midst of people. And then here's just one final suggestion. Put your phone down for five minutes. <laughs> I, did, uh, I, I, I already said that, didn't I? But I'm going I'm to call the band out here, and I want to just share with you a prayer that, uh, you know, if you want to take a picture of it, fine, but it'd be worth thinking about this. Uh, it's a prayer of what you can pray in terms of asking God to help you abide with him. And it's, it's just kind of a prayer that I, I'm starting to use to kind of set my day off in the right direction and my praying off in the right direction. And here it is. It's, Heavenly Father, give me the fear, the wonder, and the love that will strengthen my heart to remain in you. Or you can put abide in there. To see as you see. Give me the mindset to care about what you care about. And to send your Holy Spirit into all of us who are called by your name. Jesus, thank you that you are my truthful, faithful friend. And help me to do as you say. We experience the presence of God like that. And here's what's going to happen. He's going to put in our heart such peace that it overwhelms and overcomes whatever the circumstances are. And then he's going to transform us and change us into people who actually attract people to his heavenly, our Heavenly Father. And that's not. Let's pray that together, that that would happen, would you? Let, let me pray with you. And you can pray this prayer uh, silently in your own heart as I pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, would you give me, would you give us the fear and wonder and love that will strengthen my heart, our heart, to remain in you and to see as you see and to be able to trust you to the point that we care about what you care about and that you would send your spirit upon all of us who are called by your name. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you want this for us that you want to be with us. That's why you overcame heaven and hell to get here for us and to be in us and to be with us. May we understand the reality of that and not just understand it in our minds, but on those occasions when you see it's just the right time because you're the only one that knows when the right time is to revive us, to cleanse us, to do what needs to happen. At that time, would you, in fact, show us your presence that is already here working in us for the good? We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you're already begun to do that here in our lives today, right now. And it's because of that that we pray in your name. Amen.